Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher, I'm the editor at the GRC Institute. And once again, after I think a little while now, a couple of years maybe, Anthony, uh, we have you back on the podcast. So this is Anthony Quinn, who's the CEO and founder of Arctic Intelligence. Uh, so welcome back, Anthony. Thanks, Kwame. Thanks for having me. So uh, before we get started, I guess we can just have a bit of a chat about, you know, what is Arctic Intelligence and what role does it play in the, the market? when it comes to financial crime? Sure, so I'm the founder and CEO of Arctic Intelligence, which is a regulatory technology firm based in, in Sydney in Australia. Uh, we focus on a couple of things, uh, enterprise-wide financial crime risk assessment technology, and also audit and assurance technology. And we exist really to provide capabilities to regulated businesses to be able to identify and assess financial crime risks and then build uh, control frameworks or AML programs that are appropriate and proportionate to those risks. Um, that's really what we do. So we focus primarily on the technology enablement of that capability. Yeah, sure. Well, you have just released your AML benchmarking report, and am I right in saying that this is the, the second one that you've done? That's right. Yeah. Yes, yes. So you've just released and you know with highlights of information that you've gathered around risk assessments, developing methodologies and understanding regulatory obligations. And of course, we've spoken in the past about risk assessments and the challenges in that space. Um, I guess, how do you think the last few years have impacted companies' ability to do effective risk assessments? Well, I think, I mean, obviously we've spoken about this a bit in the past, but obviously you know, business or enterprise-wide risk assessments, or EWA as they're known, are essentially mandatory for millions of businesses around the world. So the risk-based approach is, you know, um, a requirement, mandatory legal requirement um, in you know, hundreds of FATF regulated uh, countries. And that impacts, you know, millions of businesses globally uh, from financial services, gaming, designated non-financial services. And I think there's quite a lot of guidance from regulators and, and others on, on the what in terms of, you know, what is a risk assessment, what are the kind of major components of that risk assessment. But there's there's not that much practical guidance on the how. Like how do you construct a methodology? How do you um, how do kind of different risk groups correlate with each other? And predominantly, most of those enterprise wide risk assessments are either being conducted very infrequently or too infrequently and and very manually using spreadsheets and at Arctic Intelligence we believe that you know technology has a great role to play in helping organizations uplift their capability um, just in terms of your question around kind of the impact of the last few years obviously kind of COVID saw quite a few shifts in in the landscape so you know an increase in potential money laundering risks and, and risks in general, really, given you know an increase in non-face-to-face interaction uh, with customers and organisations, a huge rise really in online transactions and, and really a, obviously a, a big shift to remote working. And I think that may risk assessments not only kind of more important, but, but probably harder to conduct using some of the traditional methods of workshops and spreadsheets and reports. Um, and I think just over the last few years, more broadly, there's been kind of a shift. And, and I think that shifts um, from a few angles. So I think the first kind of trend that we see is really like regulators are sort of shifting their expectations. 
So in a lot of jurisdictions are expecting them to be conducted more frequently than once a year. You know, more in depth with more kind of critical analysis and critical thinking and a kind of a proper audit trail of the process, uh, the methodology. Um, and really, uh, I think those regulators are seeing kind of smaller to me medium sized firms, you know, actually being quite innovative in adopting reg tech solutions, whereas some of the larger traditional firms are not necessarily as fast to adapt to that shift and their expectations, I think, are are shifting as a result of that. I also think like um, the regulated entities themselves, their expectations are shifting. So they may currently be using kind of a homegrown spreadsheet um, to do enterprise wide risk assessments, or they may have been left one by you know, consulting firms years prior. And what they're looking at is probably no longer fit for purpose. It might be outdated, might, they might not understand how it works. Um, and they're starting to look out what is out there. And, and in a lot of cases, they're leaning on their consulting firm partners to, to help support them. And, and often they don't have solutions either. So there's definitely kind of uh, an interest in, in the reg tech space in this area. Um, I think there's more focus on business-wide risk assessments, obviously independent audits that we've seen kind of highlight risk assessments are common critical failing and obviously it's core and, and central to um, central to any financial crime compliance program. There's no point in you know, building controls if they're the wrong controls or they don't address the risks that have been identified. So we're seeing a lot of sort of focus on risk assessments in independent audits, regulatory letters and obviously enforcement actions you know more often than not have risk assessment failures at their at their core and i think when when some of these firms are looking at kind of tr traditional ways of doing it or even traditional glc solution providers that that provide kind of tools in this area they don't often kind of live up to the job you know they might be great repositories of risks or great repositories of controls but they really lack the the structure to be able to kind of tailor a risk assessment to different methodologies, different risk models, control libraries, you know, with actually with the ability to kind of you know roll roll it out across a, a complex enterprise and have all the reporting aggregate and roll up, and obviously with you know audit trail of the assessment, ability to upload documents, you know, and then obviously have analytics reporting and benchmarking. Um, and, and I think a lot of um, organisations are looking at that. And, and then and then finally, by, by no means kind of is reg tech in this space main mainstream, like, um, but it's certainly, um, th there's definitely a, a trend towards looking at technology as a way to improve, improve that for financial crime risk assessments uh, in particular. So yeah, I think there's, there's quite a few kind of sh shifting uh, trends. We've obviously seen a lot of enforcement action happening in the Australian landscape and, and globally um, and highlighting, you know, issues in, in a lot of uh, industry sectors in gaming in banking um, and obviously most recently in kind of online gaming and bookkeeping in particular. So um, and, that, and that trend is set to continue really. Yeah, definitely. And, and of course, it's good that companies look at the technology because the regulators certainly are in terms from a supervisory perspective anyways. Um, well, in terms of the benchmarking survey itself, did, who was your intended audience and what did you um, hope that readers would have gotten out of some of these findings? 
Well, we, we, um, we've got about 200 clients in about 20 industry sectors and 15 countries that use our kind of, you know, enterprise-wide risk assessment solutions. And in, in doing so, those clients have done kind of hundreds of risk assessments, um, and they're from different industries, different sizes of organisations, different countries. And we just thought it would be really interesting to follow up last year's report to kind of showcase to, to a broader audience really, you know, how our clients are using our technology and how they're benefiting, benefiting from it. Um, but also we conducted a, um, a public survey, which is predominantly kind of non-clients. Um, we got, a, I think, about 160 responses from about 41 cu countries. And so we, what we really wanted to do was to try and unearth unearth some of the like the main insights from from our clients and how they use it to conduct risk assessments and then basically um, see if there are any kind of trends or standouts or differences between our clients and uh, typical sort of public survey respondents which again could be a predominantly non-clients from around the world and in different industry sectors <clears throat> so that that was the goal um, as and since we've launched the survey Last Monday, we've had nearly 600 downloads of the report, and that's been from a pretty diverse range of public and private sector companies um, from about 21 countries, uh, government agencies like FIU, central banks, regulators, prosecutors, um, and obviously private sector regulated businesses like banks, financial services, law firms, gaming firms, designated non-financial services, and um, a lot of, I guess, um, providers or consultants. So last year we had you know, a few thousand downloads and we're hoping to get to a thousand by the end of the first month. Uh, so we're kind of on track a week and a half in. So Sure. And were there any major differences? Uh, were there any surprises in, in, in some of the findings? There was a few things in there that we didn't find surprising, um, but it was kind of good to validate that. And I think, you know, the two key things that came out of the things that we we kind of thought were true but um you know it's good to see is and this is obviously the comparison between our clients and public survey respondents but essentially um our clients responded that on average it it took them 23.5 days elapsed time so that's basically tracking from the minute they start an assessment to the minute they publish it um it's just 23 and a half days elapsed time but about 50, well, 49 percent of the public survey respondents uh, commented that it takes at least three months that's 90 days so quite significantly longer um, 13 percent up to six months um, and 24 percent just unsure how long it takes but typically um, I think the trend there is that using technology can save time as well as well as putting more kind of robustness around the process in terms of explainable methodology audit trail and so on so that that was something that was good to kind of confirm just to try and quantify the, the difference um and then the other thing that wasn't particularly surprising were really the the top three challenges so they were gathering the risk assessment input data and evidencing effectiveness so 48 percent of public survey respondents you know found that challenge um the next top challenge was developing the risk assessment approach and the methodology which about 47% struggle with. And then 32%, you know, the other challenge that I have was that really understanding the regulatory obligations. 
So that that was not entirely um, surprising to us either. Like when we talk to a lot of clients, um, often they they raise these as challenges to us as part of that conversation. I think there there were there were a few things that sort of stood out to us as being kind of surprising. So. And there's five I've kind of noted here, really, but one one is really the frequency of refreshing risk assessments. So, um, I mean, most you expect are doing this at least once a year, and that, that was pretty consistent. So there were 33% that reported that they conduct those every 12 months, 8% every six months, 9% um, every two years. But what was surprising and probably needs a bit more digging into is is that 33% responded that every time a change occurs, they redo their money laundering and terrorism financing risk assessment, which is kind of not really consistent with how we how we see it in the real world. Um, so that probably just needs a bit more kind of digging into. So that that was quite surprising. Um, I think you know the the number of clients or or, or um, public survey respondents that assess their inherent risk to be high is actually quite low um was about three percent from an inherent risk perspective that's not even considering the control controls in place which is which is quite surprising to us given the the um the industry sectors that responded or our clients across you know some of the higher risk financial services or high risk gaming gaming uh, organizations that was quite surprising yeah um in terms of all of the different risk groups um obviously customer business channel product and what have you uh, products and service came out as the highest risk area um from all risk groups and i think that's in some ways that's quite consistent um because a lot of um you know product owners or business line managers are not necessarily that familiar with the actual specific attributes of their products and services that are more attractive to money launderers yeah. um, but that was quite interesting um, to come out and I think th there doesn't seem to be you know a, a super amount of confidence in the strength of control so we had about 10% overall that felt that they had strong controls with about 74% overall you know reporting that they had just adequate controls and kind of 4% reporting that there were no controls um, and 8% reporting that there were controls, but those controls hadn't been tested. And overall, there are like about 25% that reported that controls needed to be either implemented because they hadn't been, tested because they hadn't been, or improved because they had been, but were sort of falling short. So that seems like that's a fair, there's a fair way to go because if you think about that, that's a self-assessed position. Um, you know, and that is probably higher if you actually examine those controls and you had some independent review testing on those controls in terms of how effective they are at managing risks. Um, and probably the, the last one was really around kind of customer risk. Obviously, a lot of um, focus is on the KYC area, knowing and you know who your individual and entity-based customers are. Um, but that was an area that came out quite strongly as area needing to to have like stronger controls like 7.7 percent .7 reported that they have no controls to manage customer risk that was quite surprising um a further 8.4 percent um from a customer risk perspective had not tested those controls um 
and another 6.5% reported that those customer risk controls needed improvement. So between the no controls, not tested controls or needing improvement, that's probably 25%. And given customer risk is obviously quite you know, prevalent across the, and quite important to obviously the AML program is one of the core pillars. You know, having that kind of control gap efficiency as a self-assessed piece um, seem seem pretty high. Yeah, fair enough. So some surprises, but still some perennial issues at that sort of very very basic level of risk assessment side of things, um, which is I guess a bit of a concern if we have um, the annual compliance report due again next March. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, we're down to the end of the podcast, really. So just any general words of wisdom, bit of advice for financial crime compliance professionals who are you know, struggling, might be struggling to meet their obligations or help their organizations meet their obligations and how they can do it a little bit better. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously we touched a bit on some of the top challenges, um, the top three, but the, the others that, that we noted were really Consistency in collecting and preparing results, about 30% struggling with that. Preparing the actual reporting itself, nearly 30%, 28% struggle with that. Actually relying on internal teams to input data into the assessments, about 26%. And actually rolling out and managing the process. Obviously, if they're done manually on spreadsheets, sending them out, getting them back in, checking them in, aggregating all that into a report. Uh, there's about 22% that, that responded that that was a challenge. And then just over 20% um, reported that obtaining kind of senior management approval of the risk assessment was a challenge. So they're, so they're obviously some of the, the challenges that people are struggling with. But I think I think overall, from a risk-based approach, the kind of the guiding principles are that it really needs to be based on a sound methodology that's explainable and defendable. So really, you've got a deep understanding of the the risks, you know, from a customer perspective, from a business perspective, from an environmental perspective, from a channel perspective, product and service and geography. You know, what are the risk groups that people really need to ask? How relevant are they to the organisation? Um, whether you need to start introducing some level of proportionality in terms of the risk assessment or whether everything should be treated equally. Um, you know, what what type of data do you need to gather and what is the right balance between Kind of qualitative and quantitative kind of assessment. Obviously, there's um, a bit of criticism towards sort of more subjective approaches where people are assessing likelihood and impact, where you might ask five different people and get six different answers around what they believe the likelihood and impact to be, towards more kind of objective based approaches. Um, so, in our platforms, we have kind of an automatic risk model, for example, that um, automatically calculates an inherent risk rating based on kind of the composite result of a number of different um, risk indicators, um, which basically reduces some of the, the subjectivity uh, out of it. And obviously it needs to be well documented. I think, you know, the challenge with doing these risk assessments on spreadsheets is, you know, you can't put an audit trail in a spreadsheet, you know, who said what, what decisions did they make? Why did they make those decisions? You can't upload evidence, you know, control testing evidence. It's obviously very difficult to monitor, you know, as an assessment is being completed, particularly if it's rolled out to multiple divisions across different, you know, entities or different countries or whatever. To work out, you know, how are the risks being assessed, how are the controls being assessed, 
and obviously adding kind of comments, you know, approving risks, um, you know, the, the whole kind of workflow, generating reports, highlighting issues, um, and being able to sort of track and monitor improvements and benchmarking. So I think the advice that I would give, and I'm biased obviously, is, you know, using technology does help solve a lot of these issues. Uh, it, it saves time and it improves the ability to be able to, you know, create, plan and execute risk assessments. And also in terms of attaining kind of senior management approval and sign off, as well as being able to explain clearly to a regulator, you know, what process you undertook, what you found and what the gaps were and what you plan to do about them. Obviously, you know, there's a limitation to what spreadsheets can do. And, and so I'd strongly encourage people to start looking at technology as a, as a way of um, uplifting their capabilities. And obviously, more than happy to talk to anybody about what we do and how we help our clients. And we also work with a lot of partners, consulting partners and others that use our technology to, to assist with their clients. So welcome to having a conversation with anybody that, that's interested in digging in more. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Anthony, for your time. And there will be a link in the podcast notes with link to the survey and a link with your information for anyone who does want to take you up on that on that offer to continue the conversation. Yeah, thanks, Kwame. And I mean, the, the report, the benchmarking report is, is free, obviously, to download. So once the link's shared, please feel free to download it. And if there are any questions or what have you, please yeah, reach out. We're keen to hear anyone's feedback. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, Kwame. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.